Hello and welcome to Simcast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name is Tony Jeremy. I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education at UEA Norwich. Hi there, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Simcast. My name's Lawrence Hill and I chair the school's simulation interest group here at UEA Norwich. And today we're absolutely delighted to be able to bring you uh, a special guest uh, in the form of Joe Ellis Gage. Joe uh, is a paediatric nurse by background uh, and has spent his clinical career working in a number of settings. Uh, but we'll really hand over to Joe to tell us a bit more about himself and a bit more about his clinical background. OK, well, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. No worries. So my background, yeah, a paediatric nurse, so children and young people's nurse by background. Um, primarily, I've spent my career working in ED, um, working as a, as a staff nurse in a general ED, and then moving on to become an uh, emergency nurse practitioner okay. um, within the children's and, children and young people's emergency department. Still um, getting used to that. Full handle, handle, full, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, so both adult EDs and children's EDs primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to be the uh, department manager of uh, children's emergency department as well. Um, but I've also had a range of other roles. So I've worked as an organ donation specialist nurse for a couple of years. Um, okay. Done a couple of different jobs in clinical research and trials. Um, and a safeguarding job as a specialist nurse out in the community. Okay, great. What got you into higher education then? It sounds like you've got quite a, a varied career in, in, in the clinical context. Yeah, so I, I suppose I spent quite a lot of my time teaching within those clinical roles. Um, so both in ED and in organ donation, part of the role was teaching. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I spent a few years out um, teaching as part of a, my own business. I had a first aid teaching business, so I enjoyed first aid teaching, but I kind of wanted to be stretched down the sort of more mm-hmm. clinical and academic route. So after uh, managing the children's emergency department during COVID, um, a secondment opportunity came up to come over to the UEA. So I took the secondment, came over for a year, and I've stayed. And you were telling us you, you joined the UEA in 2021, and I can't yeah. believe it. feels like you're a part of the furniture, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> oh, most certainly. 100% compliment. Um, so that teaching role that you did in the emergency department, did that have any um, simulation-related kind of... Did you use simulation as part of your teaching there? Yeah, parts of it, yeah. So we, it was a, a varied. So sometimes we'd just be teaching on a particular topic or a particular skill, and it would be very functional. And sometimes we would try and pull different bits together and have sort of some level of in-house teaching, a bit like you would on an advanced life support course, but mm. we would do a, some in-house training. Mm. And the, the feedback from from junior staff nurses and from students out on placement was that some level of simulation always helped kind of consolidate all their learning. Mm. So whenever we had a, a quiet spell, if we did, often very early in the morning or late at night, we might run our own little mini simulation for junior staff to kind of try and get involved. Um, and that always went really well. And what, did you have any kind of training to do that? Or was that just something you kind of learned on the job? Yeah, it was a, it was a learn on the job and probably learn by mistakes and get better as you go. There must be so many people who do that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely right. If that sounds like how you found yourself getting involved in simulation-based education, please drop us a comment below because what we're finding is that so many people are kind of meandering into simulation uh, without the opportunity to have like a formal training pathway mm. beforehand. Yeah, so I'd, I'd kind of learn from from others and watching and, you know, you go on to more structured courses like, um, you know, the EPALS or an ALS course mm. um, and you learn through simulation there and hopefully you're learning from people that are doing something well. But sometimes you learn from watching some simulation that hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all kind of on-the-job practice more than any actual 
No, that's fair enough. And, and how do you think the experiences that you had working in, in teaching and learning and education in, uh, in that clinical context kind of translate into what you do now? Maybe tell us a bit about what your role is here at UEA um, and, and how that is in, relates to simulation. Yeah, so I'm a, a lecturer in the children and young people's team, but I primarily teach um, in skills and simulation. So I'm the module organiser for what we call Nursing Practice and Simulation 3, which is our third year um, skills and simulation module for BSc nursing. And, and that's across all fields. So that's adult mental health and um, children's nurses. Um, and also um, module organiser for an urgent and emergency care module as well. So a more theory-based module. Mm. Um, now, the practical sort of skills and coming from clinical practice kind of put me in a good position to take on that, that module um, and I've previously done the module organiser role for the first year of, of that as well. So I'm actually going to be teaching the same students I taught in the first year when they started in the third year in this upcoming year. You've levelled up. Yeah, yeah, I suppose I have. Um, but that's good because what you get is um, the students want you to have some clinical kind of experience. They want to see some credibility. So I think it's been quite a good um, sort of starter point for me to go and teach simulation and skills having just come out of work in an emergency department. So you said that the nursing practice and simulation module is kind of clinical skills and simulation based, but you also run a theory based module. So how does, where does the nursing practice and simulation fit in the wider nursing curriculum? Yeah. So we, we teach nursing practice and simulation across all three years of the program. Okay. Um, and the idea behind it is that it gives um, students the, the skills and the confidence in some of the more clinical focused um, work prior to them going out on placement. So in the first year, we teach a, a big block of skills and simulation prior to their first ever placement, because we've got student nurses coming in who may not have any experience in healthcare at all. Um, so we're going right from the real basics, building their confidence. So when they go out on their first placement, they're in a position to kind of start with some entry level skills. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then we build on that throughout the three years. So we then um, bring them back after their first placement for a kind of consolidation day where we run a day of simulation um, of more kind of routine stuff. So we kind of we bring them back in and we say, here's a here's a ward full of patients. Um, you've been on your first placement. You've you had a bit of practice. And we, we get them to do it in groups because they've all got different experience. So some of them aren't confident doing something by themselves at that point. And we finish year one by sending them back in and they demonstrate back to us what they've done in practice and how they've kind of brought all that knowledge together. Mm. We then move into year two and we kind of do a similar approach. Again, year two, we start teaching more um, complex skills. So we start going into things like um, respiratory assessment or catheterization. Um, and we do those as a combination of kind of task-based skill teaching and then bringing it all together into some sort of simulation days where they practice a number of skills in one place and integrate them yeah absolutely so because it, it, it's very different isn't it from practicing a, a skill of yeah. inserting a cannula or inserting a catheter compared to actually caring for a patient and doing all the other bits at the same time mm. um so yeah we kind of pull that together and then the third year our skills and simulation is a mixture of some clinical skills but also some more kind of communication-based non-clinical skills. So we do things like consent as a, in a simulation form, um, risk assessments, um, and then we bring that together in one final day. So the last simulation session that the nursing students do is our major incident day where we take over the building and create a, an accident site of some kind. 
and we get all the students in. Some of them are patients, some of them are staff in various different roles, and we run through a major incident simulation. And in that, they get to pull together all of those skills they've learned. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to speak to one of your colleagues who has run that that day the, yeah. the past two years, and he'll, he'll talk, talk to us a little bit more Fantastic. about that in, a, in an upcoming episode. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Um, Jason Corner's coming on the pod in, uh, in, a, in an upcoming episode. I'm really, uh, I love this idea that you use simulation to do routine mm, uh, yeah. activities with with relatively junior nursing students. What are the kinds of discussions that you have following those those kind of routine simulations? Do learners find it really boring and a little bit kind of not stretching or actually does that generate some quite good discussion? I think when we explain what we're doing to them, they sometimes think that sounds boring because nursing students on the whole like doing the exciting stuff. And they want to be doing the most technical mm. skills um, all the time, mm-hmm. but they also. I don't think that's that. just nursing students. Yeah, healthcare in general, yeah, I yeah. guess. I think I think there's also simulation facilitators. Yeah, We're it itching is. to do the, yeah. the the complex stuff, aren't we? And it's the exciting stuff. But then they come back from placement, and often the feedback from them, or sometimes the feedback from their supervisors, is they lack some confidence in in other areas. And actually, we've realised that just teaching this isolated skills doesn't necessarily work. So when we pitch it to them, they, we did it this year, and they kind of felt, oh, all right, we'll just, just do it. we've done that on placement. So, yeah. But then, after we'd done the day and we did some feedback, they said, this would be great to do more of this, because it, I really get it mm. now. Yeah. And they watch other, other students. So we had a, a situation where we gave a patient scenario, and the nurse who was going to look after that patient didn't really know what they were doing. But because they were in a simulated ward, there were other stuff. So they turned around, asked one of their colleagues a question, and they went, oh, no, I've seen that on placement. Right. And they came in and they kind of took over and started demoing and teaching and, and learning from each other. Oh, a wow. Bit of experiential learning again. I mean, I think that's, I think that's, a, that's just a ringing endorsement of doing the basics well, isn't it? Yeah. But actually, that's, it's still not basic. Running that as a, an integrated, fully interactive, real-time simulation yeah is still proper sim. And I think that sounds really cool. I, I, I think there's probably people listening that would hear that and think, actually, maybe that's something I should try. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be too complex. No. To like, and also, what we did was we got to save on prep work for us, but also to make it more authentic. We spent the first hour of the day with the students planning their own patients, but they gave the patients to someone else. So this is an example of someone I've cared for on practice. They wrote the patient records up, and then they passed it to the next group. So they watched the group look after that patient. And that way it was good for us because we didn't have to plan a never-ending amount of of patients. Mm. But also it meant that we didn't overcomplicate things because often we want to make things more exciting or more complex. And the student nurses actually just used examples from practice, Mm -hmm. which worked really well. And felt real. Yeah. The... um Joe, the, the theory component of the programme, how is that delivered in, in line with the simulation? Yeah, so the theory runs throughout the three years, obviously, as well. Um, and the nursing students are taught in both field-specific groups, so okay. within children's um, mental health adults, but also in core lectures where they get taught the, the core content as a group. So we'll get um, the whole cohort in having a lecture on whatever it might be that week. So, for instance, um, consent. And then on a seminar, they'll be in their field-specific groups and they'll tweak that session to their field. So um, the mental health might focus more on consent in a patient who uh, doesn't have capacity. The child um, group will look at 
taking consent from um, someone under the age of 16. Right. Um, and then we try to kind of plan that core content to run alongside the simulation. And that's tricky at times because timetabling is our biggest challenge there. I was just going to say, what, what are some of your challenges? So when you talk about your cohorts, what's your sort of cohort size and so how does that differ for the different fields? It could be total up to about 250. Okay. Um, across all four across, of those fields. Ac- yeah, yeah. And um, you tend to find we hit about 50 for children and young people's, 40 or 50 for mental health, um, and anywhere from 120 to 150 for adult nursing. Mm. Um so, so when you're doing those initial skills and drills, you you must still be dealing with relatively large groups. Yeah, and that poses a, a challenge because you've got a couple of challenges. You've got just the vast number of students to, to get through, and what you don't want to be doing is a production line of a skill. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that everyone's getting the most out of it. So we tend to run on groups of about 24, um, and you know, ideally we'd have smaller groups, but what we do is, because time's not, infinite we try and get the right amount of facilitators to match the group of 24 rather than splitting them into smaller groups okay mm-hmm. so if you're looking at a cohort of 250 that's what, 10 groups 10 groups yeah. yeah so we teach the same session 10 times and the other challenge of that is often it's not although i might be planning a session i won't deliver all of those myself um, some of them are running at the same time so we'll have a range of um lecturers delivering those sessions so yeah. to get consistency you've kind of got to do a fair amount of prep um, and have quite a tight lesson plan yeah. to ensure that all the different groups are getting the same content delivered, even if they're getting it delivered by a different person. And what's been your experience of that then? Probably a bit of a learning through trial and error. Okay. Um, so I think when I had the first year um, students, I had a really good idea in my mind of how this was all going to work. Um, so for instance, we had a, we had, we run a session where we do um, their first sort of A, B, C, D, E assessments. And they spend the morning just practicing the functional skills. And then we try and put them into a little mini simulation in the afternoon. And I had a, a, two of these sessions running at the same time. I was doing one group and a, another lecturer was teaching another group. And as I was full flow midway through doing a simulation, I saw the other group leaving and I thought, what's going on here? They're, they're, they're done quickly. And the way that the other person had delivered the lecture, or the, the, sorry, the uh, skill session was very different to the way I'd planned it. And therefore, they were done All right. very early. And, and the, because it wasn't an experienced um, lecturer, they didn't, they didn't feel confident in mm. developing it and sort of trying to find time to make some more learning experience in that last um, bit of time. Mm. They let everyone, let everyone go. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of thing. And I was like, ah, that's, that's probably my fault. I needed to prep better there. I needed to make sure that, that person understood the, the, the purpose of these sessions Um my instinct is that some of the debrief was lost in that session because the person sure. wasn't confident on on debriefing afterwards right. and yep. they whizzed through that part of it. So there was some learning there, definitely. And and what preparation do you normally put in place for your faculty members? Do you hold a faculty briefing? Are people involved in the design of the the kind of the sessions? How does it normally work for you guys? So we have the the module organizer who kind of takes the lead, but they'll have a, a field lead. So all the different fields of nursing are represented within the team Um, and therefore whatever session we do will have input from all those fields and they can kind of put a twist and specialize it yeah and sometimes it's that we're doing a subject where actually um the the mental health field lead really needs to give some input across 
all of the other sessions. And sometimes it's that we tweak it. So we'll say, well, actually for Childfield, these will be the seminars, um, the scenarios. Mental health, it'll be these. And adult, it'll be these. And we can then tweak that and adapt it. Mm. And then with the wider teaching team, what we tend to do is we get our lesson plans written up, our scenarios um, all prepared um, in advance, and we store them in a central place so everyone can access them and read them in advance if they want to, because certain people like to have more prep time than others. And then we run a, a pre-session meeting for each of our sessions. So if we're teaching recognition of the unwell patient or anaphylaxis, a few weeks before, we'll have a, a, a Teams meeting and invite everyone to come okay, along. Okay, so you do a briefing, but yeah. well in advance of the actual event. Yeah, and then they, they get to have a kind of a, a read-through, a look-through of the lesson plan, troubleshoot, ask any questions, yeah. clarify if something's not quite clear. Mm. Um, Interesting. That, yeah. yeah. Um, that's. I'm sure there must be people listening to this that are having to mm-hmm. wrestle similar challenges. If, if that is the case and you are experiencing similar challenges to Joe, please drop us a like um, for this podcast and also be really nice if you could uh, hit the subscribe button and check the notification bell so that you can keep up to date with all of our other conversations that we're having with similar academics. If I may take us back a second, mm. you said that you used to lead for the, the year one simulations and now you, you lead for the, the third year nursing. What differences do you notice in those two learner groups in the ways that they engage with simulation? I think the first years are kind of often very keen, but they don't know what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Um so they come in possibly with a slightly skewed view of what they're going to be doing. And they come in expecting probably just a lot of clinical activity constantly, not realising that actually, you know, we can't teach you to do X before we've given you the theory for it. Yeah. Um, and they don't understand necessarily that that process. Um, so that's something that we have to kind of embed within in them um, so they understand how it works. The third year is tend to understand that a bit more. They've, mm. they've been through a couple of years of it. They've, they understand the structure. They understand that they've got to think about the the pre-sort of theory first. They also know that if we say there's something that they might need to read in advance, it's probably going to be useful. Um, I'm not saying that they all do it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but they, you know, you get a bigger show of hands of people of who's, who've, who's sure. checked the pre-reading first. So that yeah. helps. Yeah, sure. And what about how they interact with facilitators during debrief? Do you notice any any differences or similarities in the way that first and third year simulation learners uh, interact in, on your program? First years tend to be pretty hesitant. They, they're, they're often the most anxious because it's all new to them. Yeah. But I think they, they struggle to get as much out of that debrief because they don't want to be putting their hand up to say they don't understand yeah. something or that they felt uncomfortable with something or even that they made, made, made a mistake. And they're also not great at critically kind of appraising their friends. Yeah, and peers. Yeah, yeah. Just give yeah it was fluff, good. Fluffy it feedback. Was good. It yeah. was good. Yeah. It's think, what you get a lot, isn't it? And we, 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 one of our sessions we, we watch remotely. So rather than having a whole group standing around a student watching, we send a small group in and we watch remotely on cameras in a different room. Mm. Um, and the first time I did that, we said, right, let's give some feedback when they come back in. And it was just a room of people nodding their head and saying, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. afterwards, I provided like a little a little sheet, a little prompt sheet, you know, which guided them into giving slightly more critical feedback. Great. Whereas the third years are very comfortable at giving critical feedback to sure. each other. They've, I guess they've had a little bit of time to get to know each other, get to know what simulation is all about. That one, I think one of the issues, again, is 
in healthcare, we naturally attract these practical hands-on learners and they mm. think that's the best way of learning. But simulation is a completely different beast altogether, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So, quick question to you, Joe. How do you introduce the concept of simulation to your first-year learners? So we, we start with trying to distinguish a little bit between what simulation is and what teaching of a skill is um, because it's kind of blurred, isn't it, mm. at times? And, and we try and explain that process of we can't teach you a, you know, a full-blown simulation until we've taught you some sort of individual skills first yeah. and how we start to sort of pull it together. And I guess it's a sort of slowly kind of throughout the year approach as to how they learn about simulation. We've done um, demos online. So one of the first sessions the students get in the first year is almost a live simulation that they watch online. So we want to teach them core basics around um, something like basic life support to a group of 250 students. Yeah, challenge. It, yeah, it's tricky. You've got break them into small groups and teach the same thing, same theory, same demo over and over again. You've got to stand in front of the group at the front of a lecture theatre and other than the front row, no one can see you. Mm -hmm. So we trialled one where we did that online and we streamed it with cameras from the simulation room and they got to kind of watch us ask questions on the chat. Um, it's recorded so they can go back and pre-watch yeah. it before, re-watch re it before they come back in for their session. Um, and that really helped with them seeing what simulation meant. So yes. we, we, we gave each other, me and, and a colleague gave each other a scenario and said, oh, I'll read it out. And they go and practice it. And then that kind of made it slightly less intimidating for them. Sure. Um, um, we included our mistakes in our scenario. So oh, if, brilliant. If one of us missed something, um, it, sometimes the students will spot that. Yeah. And they'll say, did you check this when you were on respiratory? That's so, so good that in terms shared of vulnerability. that shared vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, showing that actually, you know, to err is human and that actually, you know, your lecturers are not superhuman, yeah. you know, healthcare providers. They're, they they are normal people like everyone watching and learning. Yeah, absolutely. That balance between being clinically credible, but also human, that, yes. that kind of worked. Yeah. Um, and they, I think, I think they kind of, they realised that if we made a mistake... It's okay for them to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and one of the other things we've done, which I think has helped with the kind of interactive part of simulation, is for the third years, um, we used to teach them all within their fields for skills. So adult, children and young people, mental health. For the third years, we now mix them. Okay. Um, so students were apprehensive of that at the start of this last year, um, felt like they weren't going to get as good a value if they were in mm -hmm. a group that was mixed. And then very quickly they all came around to it. Brilliant. Um, some of the skills bits we wanted to separate off. Yeah. So, for instance, learning to insert a cannula um, for the for the child field is very different. Um, and, you know, in, inserting mm. it into a, into a smaller child's arm and a baby, mm. positioning and all that kind of stuff. So we did separate them off for certain elements to do field-specific work. But when we brought the simulation bit together... It was great having different fields. I absolutely love that. I, uh, simulation as kind of meaningful, interdisciplinary, you know, interprofessional working. I think, you know, if we can show learners in simulation how this can work together as a team, I think that hopefully will translate out into practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool. Do the nurses do anything with any other healthcare professionals? Yeah, they do. In, they do a thing called um, interprofessional learning, okay, um, which is where we pull together different health professionals into some, some short sessions just to start the ball rolling um, in the first year with looking at how different services and different teams sort of integrate. Um, what would be 
great probably as part of our development is to do that a little bit more within simulation yeah. throughout the program the, the challenge is that the nursing numbers are so high compared to the other groups you throw, but then you throw other healthcare professionals and you've got more numbers haven't you so yeah so that yeah. balance is tricky um but they get a little bit of it and then the bulk of that interprofessional stuff happens when they're out on practice because okay. the nursing students spent 50 percent of their time is out on practice mm. um so that's where they get that just again, so just going back to what you were saying about um, the differences between first and third year learners and mm. those first year learners being uh, much more apprehensive and nervous. And I think that's probably something that I certainly recognise in paramedic students. And I'm sure that's yeah, something we see in, in, in all healthcare students in um, in simulation training. And we've talked about, you know, the myth of psychological safety really mm. in, in simulation. But I, I guess I, I wonder if there's anything that you do to over the course of that first year to to try and bed the students into feeling more comfortable in simulation what are the what are the what are the the tricks and the the the, the best tips that you would give somebody who's trying to engender that feeling of security in simulation i suppose don't go the in too deep too quickly Mm-hmm. So let them build some general confidence in whatever topic you're focusing on before you throw in a sort of simulation scenario, um, because otherwise they they get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, not to make the simulations too complex or go on for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's that that pressure of filling a morning session with simulation, whereas actually you might benefit more from a, a, a 30, 45 minute simulation um, and some really good debrief time. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is getting them to understand um, about how much they learn from observing as opposed to participating. Because um, often I think students think, if I'm not doing something, mm. I'm not learning. So what we do is we get them to, to watch each other, um, to give feedback. And once they watch each other, they become more comfortable with that process um, because they realise that no one's laughing, no one's being unkind, and they're learning from watching. Um, although one of the challenges with that, we, we, we try and use the technology. So we've, we've, we do some little group work stuff where there might be five or six around a bed and they'll take turns doing something and feedback to each other. But when we try and get into some, some real simulation scenarios, um, this is something we do in the first year, we put maybe three or four students into a room, we give them a scenario, we have a lecturer there who kind of guides them through and the rest of the team watch from a different room and provide that feedback which we thought would be great because it means you haven't got lots of people peering over your shoulder in a room with 20 people stood there. And most people have got on with it fine. Mm. And some students are very reluctant to go into that room that's got a camera show, you know, rolling. Mm. Oh, right. And that was a, probably a challenge we hadn't quite anticipated. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not that they won't do it, it's that they probably need a bit more prep. Um, so we're looking at doing some completely non-clinical activity with the cameras first okay so they just, just get, get them comfortable used. being yeah. on camera yeah. almost like part task training yeah you know, like getting used to the- it makes a lot of sense doesn't yeah. it you know if you're if you're doing simulation not only are you you're you're clinically vulnerable but then if you don't want to be on a camera as well that you know that that just compounds it even further so yeah getting people comfortable with that before we then make them clinically vulnerable or from their point of view anyway in terms of yeah, simulations. hopefully that'll make a difference. We're going to trial trial some activity which we haven't got planned yet, but we're going to trial that this year and see if it can make people a bit more comfortable with that. Okay. That sounds amazing. And we'd love it if you'd come back and talk to us about that at some mm. point in the yeah. future. That'd be yeah. really cool. So Joe, your curriculum has had simulation embedded in it from, from the design. 
Have you had any challenges in terms of making that into a reality? You know, the, the curriculum as designed and the curriculum as actually delivered. Yeah. Are there any challenges, particularly with, with simulation? So I think we've, we've had a couple of, of fairly significant challenges. We haven't seen quite the whole three years of this through without being impacted by COVID yet. Right, okay. So the, the current third years who are finishing started in September 2020 and were significantly impacted by, by COVID restrictions yeah, in, in, the, in how we delivered placements it. were delayed, weren't they? And Yeah, and absolutely. So they lost some of that consolidation. Was, yeah. um, skills were limited numbers um, in rooms and all of that kind of thing. So we haven't quite implemented it all the way through yet, although I'm hoping with our students who are going into the third year in September they'll be the first ones who've really had the curriculum as we intended it um, all the way through. But there are also some what seem like boring practicalities that make this harder. Um, things around... Um, We're time- all for talking about boring practicalities, by the way. I think Because <laughs> that's the reality yeah. for, health, for, for, for higher education, healthcare educators. Those boring practicalities yeah. are very real. Yeah, I mean, so, so if we take an example... The, the, the way that ideally the curriculum would run is we'd say second years you are learning about the respiratory system so you're going to have a lecture on um a and p and look at the, the the lungs you're going to have um a seminar that looks at field specific conditions and so copd for the adults and um acute wheeze and asthma for the child field etc and then you'll come into a simulation session where you'll practice your respiratory assessment and you'll be auscultating and palpating and all of this the challenge is that with 250 students we can't get them all in on the friday at the end of the respiratory week to come and practice that mm. so, so some groups might be weeks and weeks away from when the theory's been delivered I yeah guess. absolutely so it then doesn't or sometimes um one of the challenges sometimes you have to teach it the practical the skills part and they've not had the amp session yet Right, okay. which is a real challenge. Yeah. Oh, that's a pain. Yeah. So um, there's so there's this risk of like discontinuity basically mm. between you know getting that theory part task simulation kind of all lined up and yeah. nice and neat. Yeah. And and the, the the challenge is what you don't want to be doing is putting off all the simulation to the end of the year mm. when you know the core content's been taught because then they lose the benefit of using it in practice after being practicing yeah. in simulation. So that's a that's a real challenge. We did the same with our first years where we do this um, demo sim online for the um, ABCDE assessment. And then we realised the first time we ran it, that I think one group had their practical session um, five weeks after we'd taught the mm. theory session. Another one had it two days after we'd taught the theory session. Right. And there was a disparity in how we you, did you, that. You're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place yep. when you've got a group that size. Yeah. I don't know if there's any obvious solution. If anyone's got one at home, please, please let us know in the comments below. I think... The, the way we had to approach it was we went, well, we are where we are for the year that we've got it planned. And we still are in that situation now where it's not perfect. Um, but making the most of the first 15 minutes of a simulation skills session to really establish where that group of students are in a sort of pre-brief, get that core understanding sorted, that helps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because sometimes you do that and you go, great. They remember it. The delivery of, of the theory wasn't very long ago. We can go straight into this. And sometimes you get a group, and you go, "Okay, we're going to spend the we're going to spend the next little bit longer re going over those basics," um, yeah. and that's important. And again, that goes back to the challenges sure. of that, different 
we've, so it's, we've kind of talked about this before there's what that's essentially an unintended learning outcome isn't it yep. you know you just have to go off track a little bit yeah what your, your original plan was because the group of learners you've got in front of you they need a different kind of attention and it's perfectly reasonable for that to be the case because it's natural isn't it for for that theory knowledge to have faded over the last five weeks if that's the case and actually we as simulation educators need to meet the learner where they are yeah and make sure the learning's fit fit for them yeah, absolutely. And sometimes they've got different experience from practice. They'll yeah. come back from a practice placement and you'll think, great, let's go and teach them this now. And they may actually have had a completely different experience than you expected, different mm. patients in, different experiences, and they haven't consolidated something that you've previously taught them. Mm. But they may have jumped ahead and learned something mm. that you haven't thought about teaching them yet. And so many different practice experiences with a, with a group, again, that, that large. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the other challenge of, of practice is trying to get the students to ensure that they are practicing safely and correctly and not necessarily always as they've seen in practice yeah <laughs> and you yeah. do get a disparity between um what we're teaching them based on current guidance and clinical guidelines and sometimes what they see in practice yeah. because it's a well this is what we've got to do here to get through the shift yeah, um, yeah. i mean simulation is really useful isn't it for having those real kind of conversations about the theory practice gap yeah. and you know work as imagined and work as done mm. and and in and closing that and saying you know i'm not saying that this person is wrong for doing that but what are the reasons why they're yeah. doing it and, and it we've, opens those conversations we've talked again previously about the importance of using lived experiences as part of a debrief conversation yeah you know even if it's just a, yeah. a, a segue to what and, you're and talking And sometimes about the simulation is just the vehicle, isn't yeah. it? To unlocking that conversation about that thing that happened in practice and yeah. that everyone then learns from. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to be flexible with that in how you're delivering. So, yeah, as an example, we had a, we taught a, taught a very simple session about an introduction to um, nasogastric tubes to our children's students because they see a lot of that on their first placement. And one of the group, um, one year when we taught it, was a healthcare assistant. And they kind of put their hand up halfway through and went, that's not how we do it where I work. And we had to then have that conversation mm. around, actually, in that, in that situation, they worked in a slightly specialist area and what their their way of working was correct for that area. Right. And that was great because we managed to break that down and, and work it out in, in, in that session. Um, but again, it's one of the challenges of the various facilitators teaching across a big curriculum is that mm. everyone needs to have the confidence and knowledge to do that but you know what as well this is this is partly where there is so much value in simulating routine practice mm -hmm. because it's probably in that there there's the sort of the widest variation on on what good looks like so and also by by simulating routine practices you do which i i think is marvelous you is so much more inclusive of the rest of the learners because you could pretty much guarantee that if you're doing something routine that most people have seen it happen so everyone feels included. Everyone feels they can contribute mm. to that debrief. Mm. And it makes that simulation so much richer if everyone feels they've got a bit to say. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just some intimidating new thing every time yeah. you do simulation. Yeah. Yeah. So huge credit for that. I think that's, that's marvellous. I think I mean, it's been amazing talking to you, Joe, but we, we're, we're almost at time. So okay. one last question before you leave. What piece of advice would you give to someone who might be in a similar situation to you, maybe they've got a simulation module that they're they're running as part of a, a larger program with other things involved. What what's been your kind of key learning since you've been here? I guess probably two two things. One is be really open to learning from your mistakes and doing something and then going, well, that didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> the students learned something, but not what I was intending, <laughs> and I'm going to tweak that for the next session and putting your hands up. I think that's really important. Um, but also, 
running by your colleagues, you've got a whole wealth generally of experience in a, in a team. Um, and it's very easy to kind of box yourself in and think, this is my responsibility. I'm going to get this planned. I'm going to get this sorted, um, which puts you under a lot of pressure. But sometimes handing over your lesson plan to someone else and saying, does that make sense? Um, would you add anything? Really helps. And, and I've done that before um, where a colleague's given me one and I've gone, I don't understand what this means. Mm. Um, or that's a lot to fit in an hour and a half. Why don't we pull that bit out? Yeah. And, and people have done the same to me, and I think that's really important. doesn't take much. doesn't take a lot of their day up, but just that bit of almost proofread this for me. Yeah. Does this work? So, so yeah. some humility and some shared reassurance. Yeah. Exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, and then I suppose if you're going to have a, a third one, is is the same from students. Um, be open to, to listening to their, their yeah. feedback, mm-hmm. either live when they're saying, I don't get this, and you need to completely change your plan at that point, or after a session when they go, that was great, but we could have done this more. Mm. I'm thinking about that for the future because that's the way we're teaching. So the students are kind of the, the point of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Or oh, that is just a perfect place to, to bring this to a close. So Joe, thank you so much for your time and yeah, uh, joining you, us Joe. on this podcast. It's been lovely uh, talking to you about your experiences. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Joe. No worries. Thanks thank you, Joe. Me. Thanks everyone for watching. We hope you enjoyed the session. Please remember to give us a like and hit the subscribe button and don't forget to check that notification bell. We'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now.